Who are the most implacable foes of the state of Israel today? And if you were to say the Palestinians, I think you would be right. If I asked you what ethnicity are the Palestinians, you would say they are Arabs. And if I asked further, who is the father of the Arabs, you would say Ishmael. And if I asked who fathered Ishmael, you would say Abraham. And so if I were to say who is the ultimate source of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, you would say Abraham. Uh, One more question. Who could have thunk it? Who could have thunk it, right? Uh, Do actions have consequences? They sure do. And wrong actions have bad consequences. The well-known author, Stephen Covey, said this, We are free to choose our actions, but we are not free to choose the consequences of these actions. And we all know the Bible teaches that over and over again. Now, even though we cannot erase the consequences of our actions, God is never finished with us. And all God's people said about that, amen. And he was not finished with Abraham. But he taught Abraham and everyone involved in the birth of Ishmael. And God continues teaching us. Now this morning, as we come to Genesis chapter 16, I want to bring a message simply entitled, Running Ahead of God. Running Ahead of God. And we want to ask two questions as we look at this chapter this morning. What causes running ahead of God? And then when we do, what does God teach us about himself? And so this morning, let's start with this very first question, what causes running ahead of God? And what we're going to discover is impatience over a problem. That's where it begins. Look with me, if you would, at the opening verses of Genesis chapter 16, and follow along as we read the narrative in verse 1 and 2. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar, and Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. So verse 1 here opens by telling us that Sarai, Abram's wife, was barren, and she had no children. Now, we have known this all along. In fact, we've known it from the very beginning of the narrative, but what is new here is verse 3 tells us this now had dragged on for 10 years. Sarah is now 75 years old. She is post-menopausal, and she desperately wants God to give her a child With each passing day, her frustration grows and grows, and she is frustrated with God, is she not? She says, the Lord is the one who has prevented me from having children. You know, it's not easy to want something desperately that is very legitimate and have it denied year after year. That is very, very hard. 
And so Sarai is growing impatient with this delay. Do you know what a delay is? Let me share with you what a delay is. A delay is an opportunity to trust in God, to prove His faithfulness, and to experience His provision. That's what a delay is. But here's the problem. We're impatient people, aren't we? This is what we should be doing. But we become impatient. And so everything here so far is normal. Abraham and Sarah are dealing with life's delays just like we do. Now add this. You ready? Now add this. A permissive culture. A permissive culture. Verse 2, Sarai says to Abram, Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. The American author uh, H.L. Lincoln said this. He said, There is always an easy solution to every human problem. Neat, plausible, and wrong. And so what happens here is Sarah comes up with a neat, plausible solution to solve this problem. You see, it was common in the ancient Near East, in their culture, to give your servant girl to your husband and have a child through her. If the child was a son, uh, the husband then could say this to that son, you are my son, and he became the adopted heir of the family. Now as we look at this, we recognize Sarah meant well. She's trying to help, but she encouraged Abraham to do the wrong thing, didn't she? There's absolutely no question about that. She's well-meaning. She wants to help. She might even think, I'm helping God to do this. But she was wrong. She encouraged Abraham to do the wrong thing. Do we live in a culture that encourages us to do the wrong thing? Our culture today is no different. If you're in love and your hormones are raging and uh, you're not ready for marriage, why, just live together. Just cohabit. What could be wrong with that? If your marriage is unhappy, if it's dull and boring, or you are unfulfilled, just divorce. Find someone else. If you want new furniture, a new car, maybe new appliances, a vacation, and you cannot afford it, just max out your credit cards, right? And if you're pregnant, not ready to be a parent, maybe afraid, just get an abortion. It's all legal or according to custom. It is neat, plausible, 
and wrong. Now, as we look at what's going on here, I think most of us would say, well, Abraham's not going to go along with this. I mean, look at all he's learned in the last 10 years, all God has taught him. He's not going to go along with this. If there's anyone who is going to stand up and not do this, it is going to be Abraham. Notice the next thing. A personal compromise. Running ahead of God always involves a personal compromise. Look at the end of verse 2 and notice what it says. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. Aren't these sad words, Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Do you know that is actually an idiom in the Old Testament? It means Abram obeyed Sarai. That's what it means. These are the same words used of Adam who listened to the voice of Eve. Adam obeyed Eve. And when we read this here about Abram, Moses, who wrote the book of Genesis, wants us to make the connection that just as Adam listened to somebody who gave him the wrong advice and obeyed that person, plunging the whole human race into sin, now Abraham has done the very same thing. And Moses wants us to ask a question. Where's the leader? Right? Where is the leader? Where's the man of God who says, you know, Sarai, God's been pretty faithful in telling us what to do next. Sarah, I, I don't think we ought to do this without the word of God. Instead, we read these sad words he went into Hagar, and she conceived. Can we write one word and one word alone over this? Compromise. Compromise. Abraham compromised his morals and he compromised his leadership. Let's put the blame right where it belongs. Sarah was wrong, but Abraham was more wrong because he was the leader. For the good of his wife and the good of his family, he should have stood tall and strong and said no. 
We are not going to do this. But he compromised. And therefore, it would not surprise any of us that the final step in running ahead of God is a painful cost. A painful cost. Look again at verse 4. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. Ooh. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. There's another who. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her. And the poor woman fled from her. How painful a cost all of this is. Hagar, the lowly servant, now has what everyone wants. She has the baby. And so she becomes uppity. Liking her new status in the family, she puts on airs. I'm the real wife around here. I'm going to have the baby. Sarah, in a furious rage, blames Abram. This is all your fault. What? I just did what you said I should do. Well, you should have known better. What kind of a husband are you anyway? Abram totally cops out and he says, Do as you please. I know what you're thinking. Let's all say it. Abram, act like a man. Abram, be a leader. Instead, Sarah strikes out at Hagar with such meanness, she flees into the desert. Now look at all this. Pride, jealousy, rage, accusations, irresponsibility, conflict, abuse. What a painful, painful cost. There's a famous dictum all of us know. As soon as I put it on the screen, you know it. Let's, let's say it together, okay? Here it is. Say it with me. Go along to get along. 
Go along to get along. Now, let me just say, that's good advice for a whole lot of things. That is very good advice for a lot of things. But morally and spiritually, it is a disaster. Morally and spiritually, just going along to get along is a disaster. To be a passive husband who abdicates leadership in the home will lead to disaster. To be permissive parents who will not enforce rules will lead to disaster. To be a politician who will not say no for fear of losing votes will lead to disaster. And to be a pastor who will not preach no when the word of God is crystal clear will lead to disaster. Ben Patterson was a chaplain at a Christian college for a number of years. He wrote an article some time ago entitled, The Inadequate Theology of Just Saying Yes. And here's what Ben Patterson said in that article that I found so insightful. Listen to what he said. Every yes contains a no. If you can't learn to say one, you won't learn to say the other. If we will not stand up against the wrong, we give permission to the wrong. Yes entails no. To truly say yes, we must say no. And when we say no, we are then saying yes. And that's what happened here. God had a wonderful plan for Abraham's family, but for him to say yes to that plan, he had to say no to Sarah's plan, and he compromised. He compromised. How many this morning think only God can straighten this out? I think only God can straighten this one out. And you know what? That's exactly what he does. You see, the solution to every spiritual problem is who is God? The solution to every spiritual problem is who is God? What do we know about him? God is still the same. He never changes. He wants us to know him. I love what God does here in spite of the consequences that we are living with in our world today to minister to this family. And so what a blessing to turn to the second part of this chapter and learn what God teaches us about himself. I love this this morning. Notice number one, God seeks us when we run away. 
Isn't that just beautiful? God seeks us when we run away. Look at verse 7. Then the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. Now, as the map here that I'm putting before you reveals, Hagar is on her way back to Egypt, a hundred miles through the desert. How many think a pregnant woman all alone in a desert is in some trouble? I think we all agree with that. Do you know this is the first time the angel of the Lord appears in the Bible? Very, very significant because it says the angel of the Lord, the first time we see him appearing, found Hagar. And the word found is often used in the rest of the Old Testament alongside the verb to seek. So you know what this is? This is a search and rescue mission. That's what this is. And it's interesting Moses uses this word found in Deuteronomy 32.10 for what God did for Jacob when he found him and the 12 tribes that came from him. Look what God did for them. Deuteronomy 32.10, he found him in a desert land and in the howling waste of the wilderness, he encircled him, he cared for him, he kept him. As the apple of his eye. Let me ask you this morning, does this image look like your life right now? Desert? Waste? Going who knows where? If you are a child of God, he is on a search and rescue mission. He's coming after you to teach you. And if you will listen, he's not done with you. He's not done with you. Notice the second thing God teaches us about himself. Number two. God hears us when we can only cry. God hears us when we can only cry. Look at verse 10. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael. Because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against his kinsmen, including the Jews. Consequences aren't going away, are they? 
The consequences are going to remain, but do you know what the name Ishmael means? God hears. Here in the midst of these consequences we are still living with in our world today, the Lord says, name the boy Ishmael because God is a God who hears. And what did he hear? Verse 11, her affliction. Do you know this word affliction means painful groans? Is that you today? Is that you? Maybe you can't even pray today. And you would say to me, Pastor, I can't even pray. All I can do is cry. Is there a verse in the Bible that says something about that? I think there is. Let's read it together, Romans 8.26. Would you join me? Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. If you are a child of God and all you can do right now is cry, that is enough. That is enough. Because the Holy Spirit adds his prayers to your groaning, and the Bible says God hears his prayers. What a God. And then notice the third and final thing that God teaches us about himself. God sees us when we feel deserted. God sees us when we feel deserted. Look at verse 13. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Be'er Lahairoi. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram is 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Hagar was like a lot of characters in the Bible who didn't realize God was watching her the whole time. And maybe this morning, that's how you feel. I'm invisible to God. After how I've messed up, God couldn't possibly care for me. Maybe some of us here this morning are like Sarah. We're resentful. We're angry at God. We are saying, why hasn't God answered my prayers? Listen to this. Way out in the desert, after being proud, uppity, and causing trouble, Hagar says, God still looks after me. And she names the spring of water 
Be'er Lahairoi, the well of the living one who sees me. Hey, can I tell you this morning, Hagar is a pretty good theologian because she knows if God is looking, he's looking after me. Another man who was also a failure, David, who committed adultery, murder, deception. After he confessed his sin, pled for the mercy of God and the cleansing of the Lord's forgiveness, said this, Psalm 32.8. Let's read it together. Join me. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. And when Hagar returned and told Abram and Sarai all that she had learned, he did the same thing for them. And he will do the same for you. You see, what we're learning here today is about the kind of God that we have. And even though the consequences of our folly and our sin and our disobedience and our compromise may continue, God is a God who seeks us. And if we will listen, he says, I'm listening. And he says, I see you. Though you feel deserted, I want to instruct you, teach you in the way that you ought to go, counsel you, because my eye sees you. And if I see you, I'm watching you for your good. Oh, what a God we have. Let's bow together in prayer. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, here's what I know. Some of us in this very room are running ahead of God. Maybe for the very same reasons that Abraham and Sarah did. Some of us are living with the consequences of having done that. And maybe we're hurting may be angry, may be bitter. 
And you're here today because God is on a search and rescue mission. He's after you. Will you listen? He wants to listen to your tears of repentance, your tears of pain, your tears of confession, your tears of anguish. And because he sees you, if you will turn back to him, his eye will be on you for your good. Despite whatever consequences remain. Would you just quietly Respond to the Lord and let him be the God he is and wants to be in your life. For Jesus' sake, amen.